Well, again, welcome to Freedom. Uh, it's really good to have you here, and uh, for those of you who can't be in the room, it's good to have you joining with us online. Thanks for joining us at Freedom Online. I'm especially glad that you're here today as we kick off a new sermon series. This is going to be a fun series, and I'm so glad that you're here for the beginning piece of this. You know, if you've been around the past few months, we've been marching through the book of Romans, which is good stuff, but it's really weighty. It's the, it is truly the theological heavy lifting of the New Testament. And so we've been in some serious doctrinal stuff, and now we're about to move into a fun study that is going to be very practical. It's going to be very much about your daily life, and you won't have to struggle uh, even from here to the car to figure out where does this match up with my day-to-day life. And so I'm glad to have you uh, be dialed in at the start of this new series entitled Simplify. And I'll tell you the reason that we're diving into this. It's because of what's going on in our lives and in the world around us. It's because of, of where we are right now. As I interact with people, and I imagine you see the very same thing that I do, it is so clear to me that we live at a place where cumulatively we just are a people who could be characterized by words like overwhelmed, overstressed, overscheduled, exhausted. Can you identify with any of those words? Do you realize how much that has just become who we are? I mean, you see it in a bunch of different ways, but it's easy enough to pick out. If you just this morning walked across the room and shook hands with somebody you haven't seen in a while, would you not agree? In fact, you can probably finish the sentence for me that when you walk up and smile and extend a hand and say, hey, how's it going? Would you not agree that the most likely response that you're going to get is it's going pretty good, but I'm just so you already know the the rest of the line. I'm just so busy. I'm just so tired. I'm just stretched so thin. It's like everybody's living at a similar place. It was predicted decades ago that by the time that we got to this point in history, that the average work week, literally, futurists were saying the average work week would be 25 to 30 hours because everything would become automated and life would become so much simpler and easier and that the biggest stressor for people in western modern culture would be trying to figure out what to do with all of the extra time that you have on your hands boy have they ever missed anything worse than that this problem is epidemic and the thing that's so striking is it impacts All kinds of people. It doesn't matter what demographic you are. It affects your demographic. Young and old. Rich and poor. Democrat and Republican. White and black and Asian and everything in between. It's all of us. In fact, it's really striking to watch and see how you would sort of think that the one group that might be out of the reach of this pace of life might be the the seniors, those that are retired. (laughs) I don't know that there's anybody that's struggling in it more than with this more than seniors are. I mean, I've heard people say it for years, but now that I've really watched, I realize how true it is. People who are retired who are saying, I don't know how on earth I ever had time to work. Now that I'm retired, I'm busier than I've ever been going full speed all the time. We're a people who live stretched thin, exhausted, overwhelmed, overscheduled. God doesn't want us to live there. That's a really tough place to be. And so today and in the coming weeks through the rest of this month and all the month of August, we're really going to get down to to really practical ways of getting to a better place in life. Now, in the scriptures, we find one very interesting encounter that Jesus had with one of his closest friends where the things that we're talking about today seem to be the heart of the matter that Jesus has to address. It's, It's a very, when you think about the important doctrinal weighty issues of life that get addressed in the New Testament. It's really sort of peculiar in a way that Dr. Luke would see that, that he needed to include this little passage, this very brief story in the scriptures. It tells us something about how in just a very ordinary encounter that there was something really significant, something really weighty in life that needed to be addressed. And it's the issue that we're talking about today. We're going to look together in Luke chapter 10 at an encounter that Jesus had with a couple of his his closest friends. I hope you have an outline. Um, if you don't, 
Mike, do any of you guys have extra outlines back here? I'm going to ask you, if you will, if you don't have an outline, to raise your hands because today's actually, it's not even really a normal sermon outline. It's going to be more of a worksheet, and I want to make sure every single person has a copy of that in hand. And you'll see the scripture passage at the top of that. And just to set the stage for this passage, I would just remind you and maybe point out to you, this may not be something that you're familiar with, is the fact that Jesus not only traveled around with 12 men who were his disciples, they were the ones that he was investing his life in, but there was a larger circle of people who consistently traveled with Jesus. He had a larger band of followers. It was men and women, and the scripture many different times just in passing will refer to them. And it seems quite clear that Jesus had at least two little circles of closest friends. Within the twelve, there were the three that were the inner circle. That was Peter, James, and John that were his closest friends from within that group that he was discipling. But beyond that circle of men, he had a little close-knit circle of very good friends, and it was two sisters and a brother, and their names were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And if you, it's one of those things that it's like sort of in all the in-between passages that you catch these little snippets of Jesus having been with these people who weren't a part of the disciples, the chosen ones, that you realize, man, these people were important to him. They mattered to him. Well, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived in a little town that was a suburb, still is a suburb of Jerusalem, the town of Bethany. And Jesus frequently went to Jerusalem, and every time he did, he would stop off in Bethany to be with his close little circle of friends. It's easy to understand why. Everybody needs somebody that's just safe people for them, people who will pour back into them. And Jesus knew for himself that that these were the three who they didn't tax him. I mean, when you really read how the disciples interacted with Jesus, you realize they had an important role, but at times they were just sucking him dry. I mean, you catch the times when clearly Jesus is rolling his eyes and shaking his head and saying, how much longer am I going to have to put up with you? Okay, when you open a statement with that line, that's a pretty good indication these people are drawing more out of you than they're pouring into you. But Jesus knew that in Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he had the kinds of friends who really helped to refill his tank. And so he's going to stop in to visit with them on one of his many trips to Jerusalem. He's stopping in in Bethany. Apparently, it's... Very likely that they may have even had a, a set-aside guest room for Jesus, that this is where he would stay when he would visit Jerusalem. During Holy Week, he's back and forth to Bethany every night. He's spending the night with them. And so we catch a little glimpse of one of his stops there in Bethany with his friends. In verse 38 of Luke 10, it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Apparently on this particular day, Lazarus was not home. But Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, everybody say, Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, wouldn't you agree that's just kind of a peculiar little story to be inserted in the middle of all the important teachings of Jesus and the, the ministry and the miracles of Jesus? You get this little brief encounter with Mary and Martha in their home. Now, I want to take just a minute to sort of flesh out the story. I, I think it's important for us to really be able to see what's happening through our mind's eye. And this is one of those stories that I can see it so vividly. Jesus, in a time when you can't call ahead on your cell phone, you can't email or, or Twitter you know, to, to a friend that, hey, this is what I'm about to do, he just has to show up. And you know, it hadn't been that many decades ago when it was actually good news to have a friend just drop by unannounced. Now that freaks us out, doesn't it? All of us are Marthas today, I guess. But, you know, this was a time in which it was okay to just drop in. Jesus and his disciples are passing through. And Jesus, as was his custom, he's going to pop in on his friends. Only Jesus apparently pops in. I guess the disciples went to Arby's or the Mexican restaurant or something for lunch. But, but Jesus knew he could go to Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house. And he, he drops in on them. It's a completely unexpected good surprise. But with no announcement of Jesus coming, nobody's done anything to get ready. There's no meal prepared. And so when Jesus is brought in the home, 
The two sisters go in completely opposite directions. Luke says, Mary goes into what's probably the main room of the home, and she sits down with Jesus, just so glad to see him. And, you know, we can only imagine how the conversation begins to unfold there. They're good friends, and Mary just loves Jesus. She loves the relationship that they have. And you can just imagine how she's going, oh, Jesus, how's it going? How's it been on the road? I know you've been up in Jerusalem. Those crazy Pharisees have been after you again. What, what are they saying? Come on. You can tell me the real story because you know what's said in Bethany stays in Bethany. So come on. T- tell me, Jesus. You can be real with us. Tell us what's going on. And so Jesus is probably just unpacking what all's going on and what the disciples are up to and all that's happening. And meanwhile, Martha... She, she just cannot allow herself to sit down because she's thinking, a guest in our home, oh my goodness, I don't have clean sheets. I, the, we haven't swept the dirt floors. I mean, there's nothing cooked. What am I going to do? And there is no microwave. There's no refrigerator to whip out some you know, fried chicken that's just sitting there cold in the fridge. It's going to take a while to prepare a meal. And so Martha immediately goes to the kitchen, and she is busy, busy, busy. It's going to take hours, not minutes, to prepare a meal when nothing has been prepared in advance. And so Martha's just doing what she's always doing. She's got so many wheels spinning in her head as she's thinking about all the stuff that needs to be done. I wish somebody could have let me know that he was coming. There's so much to be done. And so she's trying to get it all going. And that would maybe be okay. Except in the middle of all that she's doing, you can only imagine how time and again she overhears in the next room the laughter. As they get to the sort of the punchline of the next story, the next lighthearted moment. As friends are just relaxing and enjoying each other and laughing together. And I can only imagine every time she hears the sound of laughter from the other room that she just tenses up. She just sets her jaw a little bit more. She just huffs. And all the while, she's thinking, I cannot believe that lazy sister of mine. She knows all that needs to be done. But, oh, Mary, Mary's too good to help in the kitchen. I've got to do all the cooking. I've got to shuck the corn. I've got to grind the stuff. I've got to do the baking. And I'm sure when it's all said and done, Mary will leave me to clean it all up. Because, sure, Martha will do it. It's Martha's job to make life easier and better for everybody else. Martha's having a real good time in the kitchen. Are you, are you with me here? And finally, she just gets to that moment where I can just imagine she's heard laughter one too many times. And Martha snaps. You know, under better circumstances, on a better day, when you were just at a happier point, you might have just sent a subtle hint. Ladies, you know how this works, where you just sort of look in from the kitchen and you give some laser beam eyes like, you know, Mary, you you see the look I'm giving you? It's the look that says, drop dead, sister. And you know what this means. It means get off your lazy behind and get in here in the kitchen and help me cook lunch. She doesn't do that. Of course, you know the other cue she could have sent. She could have rattled around the pots and pans ridiculously loud, making noise, interrupting, suggesting again with the noise, get in here and help me. But Martha is beyond everything subtle. She has snapped. She's not going to pretend to ease into the conversation. She marches into the room. In my mind, I know she has a wooden spoon in her hand. She absolutely had to have a wooden spoon in one hand, and I'm pretty sure she had another hand on her hip. And she is so mad. I mean, this is the dead giveaway that Martha is off the chain at this point. She's mad at Mary. She is so mad she can't talk to Mary. She's going to straighten Mary out, but she is going to tell Jesus what to say to Mary. You ever been there? It's like, would you tell my husband? Would You you know when you're at that point. It's like, I'm not even going to talk to you. I'm so mad. Martha is there. And so she goes and just interrupts the conversation, and she's addressing Jesus. Lord, don't you even care? Oh, She's now at the point, she is a victim. Don't you care what I'm having to do? I'm working my fingers to the bone in that kitchen, and my deadbeat sister, I know I just inserted deadbeat, but she's thinking deadbeat. My deadbeat sister is just sitting in here with you. Would you please tell her to get up and come help me? It's interesting to think of all the things that Jesus could have said at that moment. I mean, Martha's opening line, Lord, don't you even care? Stop and think about this one. Jesus, who has left the glory of heaven and has come to earth, and essentially every waking moment of his life is spent caring for and serving others. But in this moment, when Martha is overtaxed, 
I don't think you even care, Jesus. That's what her heart is saying. Lord, don't you care? Don't you care about me? You ever get to that point? When just in the moment your tank is so empty and you're so frustrated, you can't see anything except your own emptiness, and it's like, I don't even think God cares. Lord, don't you care? You're not paying attention. Or don't you even care what I'm feeling right now? Tell my sister to help me. And Jesus, in response, he doesn't point out any of the things that he could have said. You know, how silly this statement is. He just begins with Martha, Martha. Which is kind of like, back up the truck. Take a chill pill for a minute. Just be still. Take a breath and listen. And essentially, if you read between the lines, because Luke's always giving us a super compressed version of the story. I feel like Jesus probably, between the lines that are written, probably says, you know, Martha, realize I didn't come to your house to get a meal today. That's not why I come here. In case you haven't heard, I'm pretty good with food. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, we had a big crowd that was hungry and all we had was a sack lunch. And I fed several thousand people off that sack lunch and it went pretty well. I've had to do that a couple of times lately. I don't know if you remember, but I was at a wedding feast a while back. They ran out of wine. I just took a bunch of pots of water and I made some wonderful Chardonnay out of that. So I could produce a five-star meal really quickly. I didn't come here for the food. I came here for the relationship. That's why I come to your house. I love you and your sister and your brother. And I just love what it does for me to get to be in your house and to just be with you. And honestly, all the things that you're so gracious to be doing in there in the kitchen as you're so busy and and wired so tight over that, none of that would even make the list of the top ten most important things for me today. Because food is not what I'm here for today. There's really one thing that I'm here for. There's one thing that matters most. And that is for the personal connection. And for just the life-giving stuff that's passed from one to another when I sit in your house and I enjoy time with you. And I just want you to understand, Martha, that that's the priority. And that Mary understands that. And Mary and I are sharing that. And I long so much for us to share that together. That we both come away with our tanks refilled. But as it is, yours is so empty. You're so worried and upset about so many things. You're stressed about so many things. Your mind is spinning in so many different directions. And it doesn't let you enjoy the beauty and the gift of this moment. He's trying to teach Martha one of the most important lessons of life. And that's what I want to spend our remaining moments thinking about today. What Jesus has encountered is Martha when her tank is on empty. And that's why a pretty innocent moment becomes for her just more than she can bear. And we catch the ugliest, sharpest, roughest version of Martha when she finally just bursts in and interrupts the moment and scolds the Son of God. Would you agree you're at a pretty bad point when you're having to chew Jesus out? You're probably pretty empty when you're hopping on Jesus. And that's how empty she is. I wonder, what does life look like for you when your tank is empty? What's it like for you when you're just operating on fumes the way that Martha is here? I wonder how many of us in the room today showed up at church pretty much with the tank on empty. If the truth be told, some of the folks who are watching and listening online, some of you are there instead of here because your tank was so empty that you probably got up and just thought, I just can't do it. I don't have it in me to dress up and put on a smile and go interact with all those people who seem like life is going well for them and pretend like I've got anything left in the tank. You ever been at that point? You ever get to that place where it's like, this is work. It's work to even just be with nice people who are going to smile at me and hug my neck and shake my hand and say, how are you doing? How are you doing? And then to have to smile and say back, I'm doing okay. When the truth of the matter is, I feel so empty inside. And when you get there, what's the antidote? How do you get to a place when you feel so completely empty? Well, today, we're going to talk about getting your bucket refilled. So I've got my bucket here. Thanks to my in-laws for my bucket today.
I needed a good bucket. It looks like the kind that we always saw on my Papa Price's farm that he fed the animals with there. But we're going to let the bucket today represent a really vital thing in life. And that is the part of us that has the capacity to carry around a sense of joy, of contentment, of peace, settledness, of hope. It's the reservoir in us that gives us the ability to carry something positive that can spill over onto other people. And everybody's got a bucket. It's sort of hard to quantify and, and label everything that goes into the bucket. But, but your bucket is that place that all the positive emotion and the positive energy in your life gets deposited. You know what I'm talking about when I say your bucket. You know when your bucket is full, don't you? You, you know when all of that good stuff is just to the brim in your personal bucket. Because when the bucket is right here, oh man, I, I know what my life feels like when, when my bucket is completely full. In those times, I just I feel the nearness of God so much of the time when my bucket is full. And I am so much more dialed in to what God is saying and doing in my life. And I just I have more of a conscious awareness of of God speaking to me and nudging me, and I want to spend time in His Word. I want to be near Him. My spiritual life is just healthier when my bucket is full. And, oh man, it's so easy to tell when my bucket is full in terms of how I relate to my own life. Jackie could tell you probably on any day whether my bucket is full or not because I just do the key relationships in my life so much better because I've got something to give away to her. And when my bucket's full, I'm not nearly as irritable, and I see the good in others. And I, man, when my bucket is full, I want to pour good things out on my wife and on my family, which is so different from when my bucket isn't full. I've noticed that when my bucket is full, my prayer time is night and day different. I actually want to talk to God. And I have a capacity to stay tuned in. My quiet times when my bucket is full don't ever feel long enough. You know what that feels like? Where it's like you, you wish you had another 30 minutes to be there because it's just so good. You feel like you're talking with a friend when you're praying, when your bucket's full. I find myself truly caring about others more. Really wanting to invest more in other people's lives. And I'll tell you just kind of a... An odd little thing that I've noticed that's very consistent when my bucket is full. When my bucket's full, one of the easiest ways for me to recognize how full it is, is I will make far better choices about what I eat. I know that's not a terribly spiritual issue, but it's a significant life issue. You ever notice that there are times in your life when it's like you can hold a gun to my head and I can't make myself eat healthy? healthy amounts of food and the right kinds of food. Anybody besides me struggle with the food stuff? And it's like there are seasons where you just go, it doesn't matter how hard I feel like I'm trying, I'm just going to crash and burn. And then there are other seasons where you just feel like, man, there's this incredible grace that it's not even all that hard of work to eat the right stuff and eat healthy amounts. You know what the difference is? When my bucket is full, I have a reserve left that makes it just far easier to make good choices. The long and short of it is this. When my bucket's full, I live the life that God intended. I mean, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, he summed up a lot of what this is all about very well when he said, I came to give life, life in all its what? All of its fullness. That's bucket full. Life in all of its fullness. I want you to live life with the bucket full, with something to give away. Well, we've got a pretty good idea of what life looks like with the bucket full. Let's ask the reverse of that. What is life like when your bucket is nowhere close to full, when you're getting down close to E? Well, one thing that I, I, I'll start off by being honest about my own life, but one of the things that I see so quickly in my own life is I am so much more resentful when my bucket's running low. You see it in Martha's life, don't you? Hand on the hip, wooden spoon in the hand. Lord, don't you even care? I, suddenly, I'm the victim when my bucket's empty. And I'm resentful of everybody else who's happy in life. I've got it so hard. 
Woe is me, and I resent everybody else whose life seems to be happy and good. I find myself easily irritated. Stuff that on a, on a good day shouldn't bother me in the least just gets under my skin, and I can't stop thinking about it. If my bucket's really empty, I find that I will try to isolate myself. There's a part of me that wants to just, at least for a little window of time, for a couple of hours, just just run away from everybody. Because it feels like work to have to do relationships at all when your bucket is completely empty. And so I want to either go in my office and close the doors and put a sign outside that says, you know, do not enter. Or I want to get in my vehicle and just drive away for a couple of hours. Just be alone because it's just, there's just nothing left in me to want to have to interact with other people. And so I'll either want to disengage or just be completely passive. I'm just, I'm not going to push back. I, I just... Don't want to have to deal with people. I'll tell you another thing. When my bucket's completely empty, I don't know about you, but I am so scattered in those moments. I mean, like when it's, when it's completely dry, I, I'm almost useless because, like, I can't. Normally, I can focus like a laser beam on whatever I'm doing. But when my bucket is empty, I can't focus on work. I can't focus on things that are just so natural for me to do. It just feels like a hill too too high to climb for me because there's just no power left to even focus on anything. I find myself feeling extremely anxious and stressed and may not even know what it's about. I mean, when, when you just completely tap out of anything left in the bucket, I, I wind up with that feeling like there are just a bunch of knots in my stomach and I can't even oftentimes tell you in that kind of moment why all those knots are there. I don't even know what they're about half the time. It's just this overwhelming sense of stress and anxiety. And I'll tend to just create unnecessary drama. It's not hard to figure out why. Is it? I mean, all the other stuff that I've just said, that leads to a person who will let anything create drama. Because just like Martha in the story, it wasn't a dramatic situation. But she feels such emptiness and such frustration over her emptiness. It's like, I've got to do something. I've got to make some noise because I need some relief. You create unnecessary drama. People who who get to a completely empty place will oftentimes try to escape in a variety of different ways. Uh, Some will try and escape through things like movies. Just I, I've just got to just veg out, you know. I may spend eight hours. Somebody may just sp- spend hour after hour on the computer or in front of the TV screen, just just trying to forget it all with movies or through reading books. Guys will tend to be really bad about in moments when we're completely empty to just dive into work deeper than ever, and it's just like I, I I'll forget about my pain and how frustrating everything else is if I just work harder than ever. Some will try to escape through spending. There's such an incredible emptiness there that it's like, well, at least if I can go spend money and buy stuff, at least for a tiny little moment of time, just the acquiring of stuff makes me feel a moment of satisfaction. And one that has become epidemic today is people, when their buckets get really empty, will try and and address that through the use of pornography. You see, there's nothing that will bring a bucket to a point of feeling empty faster than relationships not being at a good place. And when you feel relationally really empty, the quickest, easiest substitute for that is the feeling that that a person can get through a fantasy relationship. When they expose themselves to stuff that at least in their minds for a moment of time gives them a sense of some type of intimacy that they don't have in real life. That's somebody operating out of an empty bucket experience. Beyond that, it's not unusual at all for people when their buckets are empty to try and address that emptiness by self-medicating, using things like alcohol or prescription drugs to try and deal with that. I'll tell you another thing that I didn't put on the list, but it absolutely is true. People who are living at the place where their bucket's about empty are at a place where they are far more at risk for affairs. 
in the same way that we just talked about how pornography can become a substitute for that. Whether an affair is actually a physical sexual affair or an emotional affair, just reaching out, trying to get something back in the bucket through an inappropriate relationship. People with empty buckets are at risk for all of these things. Can you, can you identify with what I'm talking about? You ever? I, I know it's feeling like dangerous territory because it just ended by talking about affairs. But can you at least say, yes, on that list, I see some things that happen in my life when my bucket is at a low level. We all can, can't we? I want to tell you, I, I know what this is like. I'm not preaching stuff that I just read about in a book. When I talk about the reality of dealing with the difficulty of your tank being on empty, I've been there multiple times in my life. And honestly, I don't know of any group of people who struggle with this more than pastors. Does that one surprise you? You want to see a group of people whose buckets stay low as a group. I don't know anybody more so than pastors. And it's really not hard to understand why. When you think about the pastoring role, pastors so many times find themselves spending countless hours per week pouring into others. Well, guess what's the result of always pouring into others and not getting poured back into? If I'm only going around with this bucket doing this, pouring, 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 what's the result going to be in a little while? empty bucket so it's no big surprise that people in caring caregiver kind of roles can wind up with empty empty buckets caring mothers can find themselves in the same kind of role man i have been there the the time for those of you who know me well wouldn't surprise you at all the time that stands out in my life above all others when my bucket was at its most empty point was four and five years ago and I'm not going to take you through the misery of, of every moment of, of the darkest season of my life. But I, I'll just tell you in short form, I remember very well 2011. Boy, 2011 and 12, those were years. I could just erase those from my memory and would be good with that. Dark, dark years. 2011, Labor Day weekend of that year. A marriage that had lasted for almost 24 years began to completely unravel that weekend. We, we separated at that point. And I remember that feeling like something had just been ripped out of me, just just like you know the guts had been pulled out of me. And I, you think in that moment, you just can't feel any more empty than this. And oh, how little did I know in that moment! It's like, oh, you think you can't be any more empty? You're going to experience a lot worse empty than that, because that was just the beginning. It took four and a half months before separation came to the full realization. This isn't just a separation. This is going to be a divorce. And so here's this thing that should be really life-giving, the whole family experience, not just with your spouse, but with your kids. And, and all of that has felt completely removed with one of my children in college at the time and one of my children about to go off to the Navy and, and now marriage obviously ending. And it, you, you just feel like, man... Can that be any more painful and difficult than what it is and discovered, oh yeah, it can be a lot worse than that. Because the other two places where I had the most stuff poured back into my bucket were through a close, tight-knit circle of friends and through the work that I got to do in a church where I served. And both of those things really did a lot to, to refill me. But in January of 2012... The people around me came to the decision that it really didn't make sense for somebody who was going through a divorce to continue to remain active in a pastoring role there. And so having to step down from that role was like another huge piece of what had in the past poured life into me was taken away. And the thing that I didn't realize would feel like just the, the worst added piece to all this was all of my closest circle of friends, or virtually all, served on staff with me. And it was like in one moment of time, both the the work and ministry piece were taken away and all of my closest friends, it felt like were suddenly taken away from me because we were never around each other anymore. And that, that part, you know, never got restored. And so for me, it just felt like it went from dark to blackest black. If there's If there's a word that is beyond empty... That's where it was by late January of 2012. Family, nothing felt right. 
friendships, it felt like they were all gone. And there wasn't even a place to go and just throw myself into work, which I'm, I'm a normal guy, you know. I, having that, had the opportunity, I would have just poured myself that much more into work, and there wasn't even a place to get up and go to work. It was the most empty that I've ever felt in my entire life. And there's not a quick fix in a moment like this. It was empty enough at that point that it was difficult to do the most basic things. A bunch of you have been at a similar kind of place where it's hard to do just the basic things of life like eat a meal. Where it's painful to eat a meal, for one, because that used to be a social experience and you eat most of them alone at that point. I found myself skipping meals just so I wouldn't have to be reminded of being alone. Does that make any sense? Some of you who've been through that know what I'm talking about. It's like, I don't want to have to sit at the table by myself and be reminded I'm by myself. So I would find myself skipping meals to miss that experience. I'm so grateful that during that season, God sent some different people my way who I had not previously been close to before, but who became a lifeline, who poured something into me when I didn't feel like I had anything left to reach out to ask somebody to pour anything into me. Mike and Becky Sappington were two of those people during that time. I wasn't close to Mike and Becky before then. But having been through similar experiences, they knew enough to know to pick up the phone and to check in And to say, hey, could we pick you up and go to dinner? Now, the reality of that is, I desperately needed that. And yet, there was a part of me that didn't want that. Because it was was an empty enough bucket in my heart that just to do the personal interaction thing, it's like wonderful and terrible all at the same time. So grateful that somebody was reaching out. Not just Mike and Becky, but you know, d- different people in my life. Tom Lanahan was one of those people. Tom and Paula and, and uh, Scott and Malia Shacker, different ones who knew what that's like and who, who reached out and became a lifeline during that season and became a reminder that for somebody who was in a blackest, empty bucket season, needed somebody to reach out to them, even at a time when social interaction was really, really hard to do. It was really hard on Sundays to get up and go to church. Made myself do it, but it didn't feel real life-giving in the doing of it. I can tell you this. I'm not rehearsing that to say, poor old pitiful me, because most everybody in the room could share about a season in your life that's similar to that. I'll just tell you this from my experience. I went through that time knowing... I never wanted to be here, can't undo the fact that I got here, but this much you can rest assured of, I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to live the rest of my life in this black, empty place with my bucket completely empty. And I did come to a a keen awareness of this. It's totally up to me, it's totally up to you as to how much is in your bucket. It is up to you, it is up to me to do and pursue the right things so that you live with your bucket at a healthy place so that you can enjoy life to the full as Jesus intended. And I made up my mind, I am not going to stay here. With God's help, I'm going to get to a better place and I'm going to build the things, the relationships, the things that I need in my life that are going to keep me at a better place and I am not going to ever let myself get back to this place. Now, I'm going to just say this as an aside because some of you have been or will get to a place where this is true of you. We all go through different just different normal experiences where, you know, your, your level of stuff that's reserved in your life is just going to kind of go up and down. And life tends to do that to you. It did that for Jesus. He'd go and, you know, he'd get full in his time with God. And then he'd get out with the people who were in need and pressing in all day long and all week long who were just sucking, 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 needing something from Jesus. And the Pharisees who were attacking Jesus. And he could feel himself just going down, down, down. And How many times do you read in the scriptures, and Jesus withdrew from the crowd. Jesus went away to a place alone, and he got alone with God. You know what he was doing? He was feeling up, 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 because he knew he was about to go back out and get sucked down, down, down. And so there's a real normal ebb and flow. You're going to feel that. That's normal. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means you're a normal human going through the ups and downs. It's up to you to intentionally step into those places that are going to refill you. And the problem is... 
twofold problem. Many of us have failed to be intentional about identifying the places, the practices, and situations, and people who are going to refill us. And there are some empty people listening to me today. That if you don't make a change, if you don't be intentional about some specific things, you're going to stay empty. That's part of the problem. That we haven't been intentional to identify the things that we can do to refill the bucket. Now, for others, the more extreme cases, and this is where I was four and five years ago. You've actually been through something so dramatic, something so traumatic, that the bucket got damaged. You didn't just get emptied out. Somebody poked holes in the bottom. It feels like you don't have a capacity to be refilled. You ever been there? You, you can go through either a, a terrible loss. It can be the death of a, of a loved one close to you. It can be divorce. It can be the, the trauma of like war or violence or something that can, can do this to you. But I'm talking about where it does damage to your soul. It doesn't just empty the bucket. It damages the container. You ever been there? And at that point, you can return to situations that should pour life back into you, but it's like my bucket won't hold water anymore. That's why I like going out with Mike and Becky and other people. During a season there, I needed that. It was a critical lifeline for me. But even doing healthy things like being with, with good people who cared about me, spending time alone with God, it still didn't feel like it was raising the water level in my life at those times. You know why? Because I had been through something so traumatic that my bucket was damaged. I needed some specific help to repair the damage to my heart. Have you ever been at that point? I'll tell you the clearest indicator, and oh, I remember this very well. Time alone with God, and I made myself continue in church and continue in God's Word. But time alone with God did not feel like it was refilling my tank. It felt like work. You ever been there? That's not comforting to hear your preacher say that, is it? That's real life. When you are in the dark night of the soul, time alone with God doesn't feel like a gift. It feels empty. It doesn't feel like it's refilling your tank. Now, I knew in my head I needed that, so I would continue to do those things. But my prayers got shorter. They got very real and very short. But I knew I needed some intensive help to to plug and repair some of those holes. That's part of the reason that I stayed in counseling. It went from couples counseling to I'm counseling by myself because there is no couple left. And I'm like, I'm going to continue to go into the situations and people who are who are really experienced to help me with repairing my heart and getting to a healthier place where this thing will hold water again. And that took time. I went from feeling like I had been robbed of something where I was asked to step down from pastoring to very quickly realizing, oh my goodness, I wasn't robbed of anything. That was a gift from God. My bucket's empty. What a farce to think that I could have pastored during the months following that time with a completely empty bucket. Let me just tell you, if you haven't ever pastored before, that's a terrible nightmare. It's a challenge to do it on a good day. It's impossible to do it when your bucket's empty. I came to realize, man, what a gift it is to have a season to be able to get some help, to have some repair work done in my own head and heart, to get to a healthier place, and to begin then to allow myself to have some things poured back into me. If you're going to do that, if you're going to get to a better place, you're going to have to prioritize some things, and you're going to have to learn to say no to some things. Saying no is actually one of the biggest Things that you'll do to get to a better place if you find yourself at the place that Martha is in this story. So many times we get to an empty place because we are pouring out more than we're taking in. Well, part of the solution is going to be to intentionally take in more that's life-giving. But some of that is you've got to learn to say no to some things. If you're spending all of your time pouring into others and not getting poured back into, there are going to be some people you need to disappoint. Did you catch the key word there? Need to disappoint. You realize how much of a burden that is for some of us? That we just need to never disappoint anyone? I just don't want them to be disappointed in me. Listen, you need to disappoint some people in your life. Because some people are locked on to you like a vampire. They're sucking the life out of you. You need to disconnect. You need to let them take a big step back and get on their own two feet and stop sucking you dry. You need to say no to some people. You need to say no to some things that have just 
not been life-giving for you so that you've got room left to pour good things into your life and you've got to prioritize the things that are going to be life-giving for you. And so that's really the last thing that I want to want to think about with you is what are those things? What are the things in your life that put more into your bucket so that you live at a healthier, happier place? I'll share some of mine with you and I imagine you can relate to some of these. For starters, personal time alone with God goes a long way toward beginning to refill my bucket, probably more so than anything else I can think of. The image that you see on the screen is, is that famous center portion of Michelangelo's bigger work, The Creation of Adam, that's, that's on the Sistine Chapel ceiling there. You've, you've all seen it. It's the image of God reaching down to Adam and Adam extending a hand back toward God. And I, I'm using that image to illustrate just the simple concept that when you are at an empty place in life, God is only wanting for you to just turn your heart toward him, figuratively speaking, to extend the hand toward him each day to reach out to receive what he has for you. And you can rest assured God is always there to pour back into you even when you didn't feel it. And you won't always feel it in the moment. This begins as a discipline. And when you're going through the darkest seasons of your life, it is a discipline. And you can be this concrete about it. You need a chair in your house or on your porch. You need a chair that you are going to put your fanny in for at least 15 minutes every single day. And for those 15 minutes, nothing gets to interrupt this time where I'm going to spend a little time in God's Word. A little time just saying, God, I need to be near you. Would you just say to me anything that you want to say? I need you in my life. Help me to draw near to you. Would you speak through your word? Would you speak to my heart? I want to just tell you what I'm thinking about today. At least 15 minutes in the chair. Time alone with God begins to refill your tank. It does in my life. A second thing that's key to realize is that there are certain people in your family who really help to refill your tank. And you need to really make sure that you are intentional about spending time with them. I mean... Obviously, at the top of my list is my wife. It refills my tank to spend time with Jackie. So I don't just kind of see what what the week happens to bring as to whether or not I get time alone with Jackie. You can rest assured I schedule my week to make sure I get life-giving time with my wife because it's raising the water level in my life. And you can be glad that I do because I'm a whole lot better friend and pastor to you if I've had time with my wife. Amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about? We need life-giving time with family members who pour something into us. Can I just tell you something that has been just such a sweet, wonderful surprise in my life is I have discovered a family member who refills my tank almost as fast as Jackie does. And she's only about this tall. Her name is Reagan. I don't get to spend a lot of time with her, but it really blows my mind. One hour with Reagan does more to just... Lift me up. Yesterday, we got to have one of those days. Whitney and I had gone into town, and we're messing around, and we stopped off at La Tida at the coffee place, and uh, Lindsay, my youngest, showed up with Reagan, my two-year-old granddaughter. And I love my girls, and I think they're realizing, and I'm realizing, and I'm sorry, Whitney. Whitney's actually in town from Colorado Springs. It's a rare thing I get to have either of my daughters in in church. But uh, I'm realizing, I'm sorry, but y'all kind of don't exist when Reagan is around for those little bits of time. And she saw that yesterday. Because to just get to have Reagan want to grab Gramps' hand and go to the playground and swing with her and do that kind of stuff, it is just raising the level in my tank. And I'm just saying all that because... There are people in your family who have that effect on you. And you know what? There are people in your family who have the opposite effect on you. You're just like me. We've all got family members who suck us dry. You're going to have to guard the amount of time that you give to them. doesn't mean you quit loving them or quit spending any time with them. But you're going to have to guard the, how much time is with them and make sure you plan your schedule to be with the life-giving ones that pour more into you. A third thing. This may not sound spiritual. It's very spiritual. It's very biblical. You've got to have adequate rest. I've got to have adequate rest. Do you know, you can have everything else that we'll talk about today right, 
pouring back into you. And if you're not getting the amount of sleep that you need, you're going to feel horrible. You're going to do relationships poorly. Your quiet time is going to be in the tank because it's so hard to focus. Everything in your life is going to perform at a lower level because you just didn't get enough sleep. All the studies have shown the same thing. Virtually every person, every adult in here today needs between seven and nine hours of sleep, most of us in the eight to nine hour range, in order to function at a high level. I know you can get by on six hours of sleep. Whoop-de-doo, you're not functioning well on six hours of sleep. I'm saying this as as pointedly as I am because America has become a culture that has esteemed living beyond what you're supposed to do, squeezing an extra hour or two in the day, and we wind up being lousy for all the other hours that we're awake because we, we stole a couple of hours that we were supposed to be asleep. How many hours does it take of sleep for you to feel good? Jackie and I work out at the same gym, and Jackie uh, works out with a trainer who's he's just the best I've ever been around. He, is, he, he studies his craft more than anybody that I know. He's so disciplined, and he does all the right stuff. But it's really been sort of funny and, and interesting to hear Eddie because he's always looking for the thing that's going to sort of give you more of an edge and have you feeling better in life. And, and he's just so smart about all the things that he does, so careful about it. But to hear him in the last week, to overhear him telling people, I feel the best I've ever felt. I feel so great. And it's like, I wonder what he's up to. And then to hear him explain, I've heard him say it again and again, I just changed my schedule and I'm sleeping longer. He, he would get up 4 o'clock every morning, every morning of the work week get up at 4 o'clock to train people from early in the morning till end of the evening. And he just said, I finally drew a line and said, I'm not training anybody before 8 o'clock in the morning. And he's like, holy cow, I can't believe how great I feel. This is awesome. And I just thought, you just discovered what everybody needs to discover. Some more sleep is the fastest way to get more in the tank. I can think of It's easier than anything else we'll name. How many hours of rest do you need? Recreation is another big one. Doing something that you just like to do. Asking yourself the question, what have I done today? What have I done in the last week that I just did because it's fun for me? What do you like to do? You want to know what my big three are? These are the the three recreational things that refill my tank. And none of these are spiritual. I love the beach. Any time of year, I just love the beach. I I don't even understand that. I can go down to the bay. I can go down to Gulf Shores or Orange Beach. And just being there starts refilling my tank. The beach does it. Anything related to Alabama football, roll tide. It puts stuff in my tank. No offense. That's all right. If if Auburn does it for you, great. We'll pray for you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, But, you know, I've had so many people in my life say, yeah, I used to follow Alabama like that too until I realized it was an idol in my life. And it's like, you know, I'd kind of feel like, oh, I guess maybe I'm like unspiritual, but I like Alabama football. I'm over it. If Alabama football was an idol in your life, I hate it for you. It's not in mine. It is recreation. It's, it's something mindless that I can enjoy. Every day of the year, I'll spend a few minutes reading something about Alabama football, and I just decompress in those moments, and my tank refills about that much every day just reading something about Alabama football. And my other one is travel. I just like to travel, near or far. I just like being somewhere that ain't my house. I like my house, but I like being somewhere that's not my house. Traveling refills my tank. So Jackie knows, and this has been an adjustment for her to, to realize, I don't have to always be traveling, but I always have to have a trip on the calendar, even if it's six months away. I don't come home from a trip. She, when we first got married, she thought I was crazy. I do not want to come home from a trip without having the next trip scheduled. I mean, to the point like, the week we come home, if it's not already scheduled, I'm booking tickets. I'm lining up the hotel. I just, I love travel, and it just, it gives me joy all year long to know, hey, we're going to get away here, we're going to go there. And I don't feel guilty about it anymore. I understand. Recreation, the concept behind that is to recreate. It is recreating passion, joy, contentment, energy in, in our lives. And God designed you with a need and a capacity for recreation. So don't feel guilty about having recreation in your life. Time with specific friends is key. There are people in your life that you just, your heart goes, man, it's so good to sit across the table from you. For Jesus, clearly, Mary, Martha, Lazarus were those aha 
people for Him. You know what I mean. It's the people that you know when, you're, when you get up from time with them, you're at a better place than when you sat down. And then you've got all kinds of friends and acquaintances that it's like, and eh, never am sure. They're usually in a crisis. They're usually going to tell me what their latest story of drama is. And it's like, I, you know, you care and you want to help. But over time, you just realize, I think I've been helping for the last 10 years. Healthy relationships aren't always about, I've got to help you survive your latest week of drama. Healthy relationships are we can just talk about life and just enjoy each other and talk about whatever you enjoy doing. Another key piece in this can be, and oftentimes is having satisfying work to do. Dave, it was so neat to not only hear your testimony, but to be able to talk with you before the service and to just to hear. And, and I get why that's, that's an emotional thing. Because, I mean, think how many hours a week we spend in work. If you're in a job you hate, I mean, that you really hate long term, I want to just encourage you to start praying earnestly and doing whatever's necessary to either get moved around, repositioned in your job, or to find a new job. Because it's hard to overcome that. If you're in a job you hate, and if you're in a job you love, in a place that you love, boy, pray and ask God to move heaven and earth to let you stay in that. You know, Solomon talked at different times about this in Ecclesiastes. He said, it's good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work. When work, because you're going to do that so many hours a week, if work can put a little bit into your bucket instead of always sucking it out, that's huge. And the, the one other one that I'll mention is, is exercise. Exercise is a huge piece in this. And it's the weird one because you're actually expending energy to actually wind up with more reserve. It's been proven. It is absolutely a fact. People who get adequate exercise, who get adequate rest and who exercise have 20% more energy than the people who don't. Isn't that weird? It's like you go burn all that energy at the gym. You'd think you'd be tired all day long, but you're not. Now, trust me, there are plenty of mornings I don't want to get up and go to the gym. I'm really glad to be married to somebody who's disciplined and helps me to, to stay on track doing that. But I have more energy and more reserve in the tank for having done that. Now, those are things that matter for me. There are probably other things that make your list. For some of you, uh, being creative, being artistic, and expressing that on the canvas or on the page or with an instrument refills your tank. I, I, I've got friends that just to play music, they're, they're instrumentalists, and just to, to make music and play music and write music or to, to write creatively, those kinds of things refill their tank. Everybody needs to identify what those things are. Now, you won't have in common with me all the things that refill my tank, but this we all have in common. We need to extend a hand toward God. Whether your tank is full or empty or anywhere in between today, that part nothing else can substitute for. Everybody needs 15 minutes in the chair. I've discovered my needs are bigger than that. Fifteen minutes won't do it for me. I need longer than that in the chair. But we all need time every day where we extend, extend a hand toward God and let him reach out to us and hold on to us. And if, if you don't get anything else to walk away from that time knowing that God is saying, I love you. I'm so glad you're mine. I really enjoy you. I can't think of anything that refills the tank more than, than knowing in your spirit God saying that to you. I said at the beginning that what I was giving you in paper form today wasn't a sermon outline. It's really a worksheet. I want you to have to go home and think about the things that we've talked about today. But prior to doing that, I want us to take a couple of minutes to really focus in on, on two things. I want you to focus in on, on answering the last two questions on your outline. And the first one is, I want you to honestly assess today and this week, just where you are in life right now in terms of how full or empty is your bucket right now. I mean, if you just had to, with your pen, mark one of those little lines next to the bucket, how full or empty do you feel like you are right now? And then beyond that, who are the people... What are the practices, what are the things 
that would tend to raise the watermark in your own life? And what are you willing to do to pursue more more of those things? Because God wants you. Jesus has declared he wants you to have life to the full. We're going to pray together. And then while we're praying, the band's going to retake the stage. And they're just going to play one of the worship songs that we sang earlier. They're going to play through it a couple of times. And then we're just going to sing that chorus as a closure to that. The, The offering won't be passed until we're singing the chorus at the end. But I want you to take the first two or three minutes of that time to just think through that, and I want you to just mark and write in any notes as you just ask God. I want this to be a spiritual exercise for you. God, help me to see where I am right now. I don't want to live empty, giving just the least that I have to other people. I want to live full. Would you help me to recognize what I can do differently to live filled up? And then I want you to just spend some time thinking that through and writing out what God puts on your heart. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you. That you didn't design us in a way that you're just going to see how much you can squeeze out of us. And when you've worn us out, take us home. I thank you that you have designed us with a capacity to be refilled with life and energy and joy and purpose. And that you fill us with that again and again and again. Would you help us to press into you and to the people and things that you've put around us. That you've wired us to need. Would you help us to tap back into those things that breathe life into us again. And above all, would you help us to reach out to you? Thank you for loving us the way that you do. I pray that in this place today, you administer real help, hope, and life. We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.